Hi, this is Kathleen Mercury with Games in Schools and Libraries, and I am so excited um, to have on the show Ian Zhang. Ian Zhang works at the Carnegie Science Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, he is a full-time education professional development coordinator, which is so very, very many words. But what's super exciting is and relevant for us here at Games in Schools and Libraries is he does a lot with teaching teachers how to um, develop STEM thinking with their students, processes of thinking, as well as actually teaching game design itself, which, you know, obviously perked my ears up a little bit, and I can't wait to find out more. So, Ian, thank you for being on the show. I'm really glad that you invited me. This is a great opportunity. Yeah. So we met because you host a podcast and I was a guest on the show. And a couple of times it was almost like, hey, guys, we need to talk about other things, not just <laughs> you know teaching game design. But, but so tell us, uh, well, so what's pos- t- tell everybody what podcast you are and, and how you came about doing that. So I am one third of the podcasting team behind Breaking Into Board Games. Uh, I've been trying to break into the industry as a board game developer. Mm. I've got a couple designs in the works, but I really found my love in working with other people's designs and making them the best that they can be. And uh, my first game came out last year, last 2016, I think. Mm-hmm. No, what is it then? It's 2017. So 2017. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And it was Constellations. That was my first published design. It was uh, actually designed with Dante Loretta, who is the principal investigator on the OSIRIS-REx mission to the asteroid Bennu. Cool. Um, He designed a game uh, in 2016 called Extronaut, and I did some development work with him on that game, and... I came up with an idea for a Constellations game, and he and I worked on it together, and it was published. That's awesome. Uh, the whole idea behind it, yeah, the whole idea behind it was that we wanted to create something that could be played in the classroom, and I brought in a lot of my game design expertise, and also I was a science teacher back when I, before I moved here to uh, Pittsburgh. I lived in Michigan. I taught in a small charter school in, in Michigan in Howell. And I was the only science teacher, so I got to try some pretty unique things there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a, it was 120 students total, and again, I was the only science teacher, which meant five preps, which was great. Yes. Uh, for, for those non-teachers, a prep means an individual class. Many teachers will have, oh, I teach chemistry, and I teach chemistry five hours out of the day. That means you have one prep. I taught seventh and eighth grade science. I taught anatomy and physiology, I taught chemistry, I taught biology, um, and one other one. It escapes me right now. (laughs) Anyway, it was a lot. Rodent Um, pathology, (laughs) we'll just say that. Yeah, there we go. And so because I had so many preps, I had to come up with unique ways to engage my kids. And I started using games in my classroom as an engagement tool. And from there, I just started to realize that encouraging my kids to develop these skills of critical thinking was almost more important than the content itself. Mm-hmm. And that led into my job here at the Science Center, and I've really been able to explore what that actually means. And uh, because the Science Center is in an informal setting, it's a very unique sort of feel. I'm not beholden as stringently to standards and what have you. Mm-hmm. 
So I can be a little bit more exploratory with incorporating standards into more informal settings. Do you find that, just curious, this is probably out of place, but do you find that um, having the less formal setting um, can have a different response from kids, both positive and negative, in terms of, you know, your expectations and what you're trying to accomplish? I would say definitely. I mean, we have a makerspace at the Science Center, and it's it's pretty, uh, I would say, it, I don't know, it's, there's, a, there's a dangerous road here, because informal versus formal, informal just means not in a traditional, traditional classroom. Mm-hmm. We've started to see a little bit more of that in built into schools where we have like a STEM class. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, a lot of schools have these like STEM specific days where the kids will actually go to a different teacher and they will do hands on activities. And the Science Center is trying to kind of go against that a little bit, maybe. Because if we move every critical thinking, problem-based learning into a specific classroom, the kids get excited about that and they'll feel like a normal, quote-unquote, normal classroom is not something that they are actually going to learn in, which is, again, we're we're kind of working through this whole thing because it's it's a movement where there is a STEM class and it's certainly a step in the right direction Mm -hmm. because it exposes the teachers to really cool ideas too. Uh, like, I, again, quote-unquote normal teachers. I, I, no. We really, at the Science Center, what we really want to do is make STEM learning a standard thing, not just a, woo, it's STEM day, everyone. Right. <laughs> We're going to come and do STEM. Right, right. And, well, one of my students, um, um, his dad was is a, um, researches <clears throat> neuron um, regeneration at Washington University here in St. Louis. And so when we were studying the brain as part of our um, sixth sixth grade um, gifted curriculum, he came in, you know, brought a human brain, um, showed them everything, all the different bits and pieces of how it worked. But it wasn't so much, you know, just the shock and awe factor of the human brain. But really what he wanted to do more than anything was to, like, show them, like, how you do science, that science isn't just, you know, accepted facts and books. And then we move on. I mean, there certainly is a body of knowledge. But on the other hand, you know, scientists do not agree on everything, (laughs) even things that we would necessarily might even think would be kind of standard. But also um, just like the process of doing it and the process of how he does the work that he does. It's, you know, it's it's a lot more open-ended than you might think or that the kids might think. And that was his main motivating factor for coming in, for them to see it not as, you know, a, you know, a series of right answers, a series of known understandings, but that process of how do I find out the answer to this? How do I figure it out? How do I, you know, struggle through this problem? How do we get there to what we think might be an answer? Yeah, I I think I, we talked about this before we started the podcast. The difference between STEM learning and STEM jobs, mm-hmm. because uh, I'm STEM learning is the idea behind science. It's the investigative process, the inquiry focused learning, the uh, the problem based, the the project based learning, the all of these things that incorporate actual doing inside the knowing. Because mm-hmm. I mean. You can know something and not be able to do anything with it. But if you can do something with your knowledge, 
you have to have some sort of experience actually tied to it. Right. So that's the whole idea behind that STEM focused learning. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's the thing we actually want in all other classes in English and social studies. Uh, One of the biggest concerns that we have when we go out to schools is we, we say, bring your English teachers, bring your social studies teachers. And we show them that it's not just the science people that can do inquiry. Right. Yes. They, they do it every day because it's kind of required, but if you can incorporate those kind of those projects, those, um, those challenges for the students in an English class, all of a sudden now it's much more interesting to them. Yeah. You'll, I think you'd find a lot of kids who just, you know, they tend to, you know, say, I'm not good at math. You know, this is my favorite class. Those don't tend to change from year to year unless there's like a significant, you know, uptick or downswing because a particular teacher maybe, but generally speaking, kids' favorite subjects tend to be their favorite subjects. But if you can shift how kids see their particular subject as something they're not good at to something that they can be very good at, then you're going to have an amazingly different response from those kids. And that's a, that, a benefit to project-based learning. Because if you have a project that teams of students have to complete, there's going to be room for each student to succeed somewhere in there. There might be, even the kid who really doesn't like dealing with uh, math, well, maybe he can deal with the, the organization of the group mm-hmm. and learn the confidence that goes along with it. And because he has to lead or she has to lead, they have to actually step up and figure out the, the material as well. Uh-huh. I mean, there, I, I remember one time I had a student in my class who always acted out and I said, okay, we're doing a little mini science fair in the school. And they had to come up with projects and he was just like, I don't know. I'm not good at biology. I don't like it. It's not good. Oh, whatever. Ah. Uh-huh. I'm like, what do you like? And he was like, uh, cars. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not really biology, is it? He's like, no, really? Really? What do cars produce? Movement? (laughs) Well, yes. (laughs) But what what do they emit? (laughs) Exhaust. Well, what's an exhaust? How does that interact with the environment? Uh, I I don't know. Well, there's your project right there. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so he actually came up with this whole idea as to how to, you know, uh, d- d- do plants grow better with exhaust because there's carbon dioxide in there. And it's he started to g- go down a path that was much more, he, he didn't think that it would apply to his own interests, but all of a sudden it did. And now it was really interesting. Uh-huh. And just engaging kids with a project that they, they have some sort of background with uh-huh. can be a phenomenal... Uh, it, Oh, man. Well, it's it's transformative because suddenly, (laughs) no, it's transformative because you're connecting them with, you know, the knowledge and content to where it becomes authentic. And that's one thing I think with, you know, project-based learning that it can have um, such a real impact on kids. It's not just taking what other people have done, other people have found out. It's for them, it's figuring out their own answers. And I think Mm -hmm. this is, you know, where it can be kind of difficult sometimes nowadays in an era of like testing and wanting things to be measurable, especially when you have kids, you know, kind of venturing off. And I think this is important when it comes to understanding how to, you know, work kids through a process because that's what it really is. It's not just about 
what did they learn at the end in terms of like the, the, the 10 facts that they have to have or whatever, you know, that sort of thing is, but it's like that process of figuring out, you know, what do I know? What do I want to know? How do I figure out getting there? What are the resources that I need? You know, how do I manage my time? What happens when I hit a wall? It's that, 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 that authentic process that comes from when you want to try to figure something out. And, you know, in the real world, if you do anything kind of interesting, this is what's going to happen. You know, you have to figure out, you know, how you can proceed through something to figure out the answer. And, you know, so project-based learning, like you're talking about, gives kids that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, the science center, the Carnegie Science Center has a, a thing called the Carnegie STEM Excellence Pathway. It's a rubric tool for uh, schools to improve STEM offerings at their school. It kind of came out of this idea where, um, someone approached our director at the, at the museum and said, we'd like you to certify us in STEM. Can you do that? And <laughs> no, 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 we, no, we can't. Uh, and I mean, there are, there are certification processes like the T STEM blueprint is one, uh, notable one in Texas. They, it's, it's more stringent than inter international baccalaureate though. So it's a, it's a very intensive process to get certified in STEM. And that's not something that we could have done because we would have to build something completely from scratch. So what we did was we took, we looked at all of the, the certification processes and the common traits with all of them and combined them into a tool that you can use online um, within your school. And uh, so you go through and you kind of see where you are in terms of STEM learning in your school. Okay. And again, this is STEM learning, not STEM jobs. Right. So let's, we're, we're going to get into like how you use like game design, especially, but I want to, I mm -hmm. think this is something where there's a lot of um, misunderstandings, like you're saying, you know, where it's the one mm -hmm. class or whatever else. So let's just talk about, we'll just break these each down. So for project-based learning, if you mm -hmm. had a magical list, a magic wand to say, this is what I would like to see in classes, what would you like to see? I'd like to see a class that was, in, uh, instead of just worksheets and vocabulary, a, a project was created that they could actually go through and have to learn those things in the process of solving the problem that they were presented with. Mm -hmm. I want to see the career awareness built in, where there's, uh, maybe you bring in people that are uh, doing what the the job that is solving that problem so that the kids can actually show off their knowledge after they've learned it. I want the inquiry to be first and foremost. I want the teacher to be asking questions, not telling answers. Mm -hmm. um, and I want things to be integrated. Uh, the, the, it's not just a silo. It's not just here. We're in science now. Oh, now we're in English now. Oh, now we're in, uh, now we're in math. I mean, in science especially, like if you want to get into academia, into science, actual science, you need to be a very good writer. Mm -hmm. You need to be a very good writer. My wife Shelby is getting her PhD in uh, in developmental genetics and, oh, sorry, molecular genetics and developmental biology. Mm -hmm. There we go. And pretty much all she does every day is read and write. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, she does experiments here and there, but I mean, like a majority of her work is writing and make, uh, presenting her argument in a way that is, is solid. So 
if you don't have an integrated curriculum where kids are having to write in science class or do inquiry in an English class, they're not going to see the connection between those when they actually go out into the workforce. Yeah. And so in an ideal STEM class, you have the, the inquiry, you have the integrated curriculum, you have the project-based learning, and you have some sort of career awareness so kids aren't saying, when am I ever going to need this? Mm-hmm. If you have those four things, I think that you're in a good spot. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, one of the teachers at my school. I teach at uh, Ledoux Middle School in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, one of our, well, she's uh our technology teacher and she does do a STEM class <laughs> called, but it's called build a lot. And so for the bridge building project she gave, it said like, she just wrote on the board, build a bridge, you know, trusses. There's a few things, you know, like, you know, like the requirements that it had, that's what was on the board. And the kids are like, okay. And she's like, and they're, they're like, are you going to explain this to us? And she's like, nope. And she's not doing this because she's a bad teacher. She's doing this because she's working with them, obviously, through the way to get them to learn the process and learn what they, you know, like how can they figure out what they need independently as much as they can to figure out how to build this, you know, trust bridge, you know, out of, um, out of, out of toothpicks. Because I think, you know, especially... We only, you know, as teachers only have so much time, you know, failure is really not an option a lot of times, you know, we talk about wanting kids to authentically fail, but then for every kid that fails, that's a, you know, whole conversation with your evaluator, usually in terms of what happened, what did you do, why did this kid fail, but you know, having the kids struggle through that, you know, so where it's obtainable, I mean, she knows where all these resources are, she can it's not like she doesn't, but she can help guide them to all those different places, but it really puts that responsibility on them. But when they have that responsibility, they also get that ownership. And there's a lot more invested in the work they're doing because it's not, well, this is what she's making me do. It becomes something that they want to do that they're trying to achieve. It becomes a challenge. Yeah. And I mean, when you ask pretty much anyone if you if you are challenged to do something you want to do it Mm -hmm. you want to you want to succeed i mean and that's one thing that i think our modern school system kind of needs to get over um and the the fear of failure Mm -hmm. i i can't tell you the number of teachers that have said like i have so many students that are so anxious about being wrong yes and Part of STEM-focused learning is being okay with being wrong, but having the tenacity to figure out what went wrong and, you know, build upon the failures yeah. so that it's, well, or I, at least learn from them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is, I mean, this is why I teach game design to my gifted kids. Generally speaking, they tend to be, you know, very good in their other classes, Um they don't tend to struggle too terribly much, although that's not true in all cases, obviously. Um, but the thing that I want for all kids is to learn at their level every single day. And I want my students to experience the type of struggle that other students have every single day. And game design is a way for me to take something that hooks them. They love games. They love playing games. They play a ton of games. And even when they're designing games and playtesting games, they're still play, te- you know, there's, it's just games are such an amazing hook for them, mm-hmm. but it never gets easier. And it only gets harder the deeper they get into it from deciding on their theme and their mechanics, the prototype, mm-hmm. the first playtest when they get those results back. And then we iterate that process multiple times, you know, writing their rule books. And then even 
when we, you know, write descriptions of their games to basically like pitch them, you know, write like descriptions of their games and post them on BGG and they answer questions like it never gets easier because I want them to see that they can handle a difficult process you know, where they define the problem, there's uncertain outcomes, but they can actually get better if they work hard and iterate this game multiple times, the game will get better. I want them to see that they can take on something that they probably didn't think they could do and actually make it better over all of this hard work because they've never had any kind of project like this before. Yeah, I mean, that's why I love game design myself, is because it provides a, a mentally stimulating challenge that oftentimes can make me, it makes me happy when I when I can figure out the solution to a problem. It's why I love game development, uh, because I take a design, I see where are the pain points, where what's going on, and it, it I kind of attest to the power of inquiry-focused learning, because that's what my teachers in high school and college taught me how to do. Right. I had to, I, I, they challenged me. They tried to make it hard so that I could actually grow and figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. So tell, it, it, yeah, so tell everybody about the game ahead, design sorry, workshop that you do at the Carnegie Science Center. So the workshop is a three-hour workshop. So I only get the teachers for three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, that's normally what uh, professional development can run just because of time constraints. Sure. So I'd love to have a full day because it would be fantastic. But I mean, you, anyone who's done game design knows that you really need to accelerate. Mm-hmm. So I like to call it the, the, the tour of game design and uh, <laughs> tour, tour to game design. Mm-hmm. The first step is kind of giving an overview of modern board gaming because a lot of people are still familiar with the classics. I like to say, oh, it's the metaphor of imagine that you are seeing all these blockbuster Marvel films and they're fantastic and everyone around you is like, hey, do you want to come over and watch Casablanca? Right. And it's like, I mean, we've seen it. It's been around for ages. I mean, it's a good movie. I I don't really want to see it again. <laughs> When all these cool movies are out here, look at all these cool things. That's so funny. So I, I kind of give a rundown of like, here are some cool ideas that have come out in the past decade or so. And then we kind of jump into a simple game design process. And I start out with a rock, paper, scissors challenge. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the world knows rock, paper, scissors. I, I mean, you could go to the re- most remote corner of the world and you can say one, two, three, shoot, and people will know what to do. So... I like to kind of think about it this way. Rock beats scissors, right? That's cool. Yes. I mean, that. there's a reason behind that. If you smash a system scissors with a piece of, uh, with some rock, it will destroy the scissors. That's yes. cool. Scissors cut paper. Awesome. Paper will be destroyed and it's all cut up into shreds. It's not really, I mean, you can't really use it anymore. Cool. The paper covers rock. Huh? <laughs> why? 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 That what what is it's hiding the rock like what's mm-hmm. what's going on here is the rock is still usable I can still pick up the rock covered by paper and throw it at someone it's still going to do damage <laughs> so that arrow connecting paper to rock is a it's got a huge question mark next to it why why is that is there a better way that we could do that and so I present that as a challenge to the teachers I, I say modify this game that you know really well mm-hmm. and try to make it actually connect back to some sort of curriculum that you have that you might be teaching in the next 
couple weeks or so. Uh-huh. Just come up with something. It could be historically based. It could be science based. And oftentimes I'll get like the, oh, this we're doing, um, we're doing the cycle of the butterfly or we're doing the, the rains, uh, the cycle of water, the water cycle. So I get a lot of cycles, but then I have some really interesting ones to show up where it's like, I, I get like this cross section and like rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock from big bang theory. Uh-huh. I, I get a lot more complicated maps and it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I never know what I'm going to get out of it, which is the coolest part of the workshop. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a pure creation. Yeah. So once they've, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, cause I do, um, when I introduce my students to games, I think it's because in- it, I think it's interesting because with rock, paper, scissors, because I've seen that. Um, what I do is I have them make a race game because in a race game, um, the objective, you know, be the first to win the race and how you win is known, understood. Most of the games they've already played are race games in some way, you know, from Sorry, Shoots and Ladders, Candyland, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so what they have to do is figure out how they're going to race the game without any kind of, like, randomizing, you know, thing. Like, they can't use mm-hmm. dice, they yep. can't use a deck of cards, you know, and so how can they, if they want to use dice, like, how can you be more creative with it, you know? And so, I mean, I, I, mean, I have more time when I do this, um, you know, with my students. So they've played a bunch of games before we do this race game thing. But I will tell you that just having kids play games, you know, simple, fast, easy to learn, 45, you know, games for four days, and then I have this, it is astounding how much better their games are just because they have, you know, like all those different kinds of experiences than what if it was the first day, because then it would have all been like Monopoly ripoffs. And I think it's a really smart thing to go with rock, paper, scissors, because there aren't too many variables there for them. I mean, there's all kinds of ways they could, like, really complicate it up. But I think for a lot of teachers who would be very, very scared about failure, you know, I think it's a really smart way to, you know, kind of scaffold them into, hey, you can do this. Yeah, that was the entire idea. Because game modification is much easier than game creation. So I wanted to kind of ease them in to give them a little toe in the water, so to speak, so that they feel comfortable at least manipulating some sort of game that they already know. Yes. Uh, After that, I bring in a game that most of them have not seen before. And that game is Happy Salmon. Mm. Uh, For those of you who do not know Happy Salmon, you listeners, I, I would strongly encourage you to go get this game because it's great for pretty much anyone. Um, it is a rapid game. It takes about a minute to play, uh, which is ideal for a three-hour workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh, very simple to learn. So every player gets a deck of 12 cards. In this deck, there are four actions with three copies of each action. You have Pound It, you have High Five, you have Switcheroo, and you have the eponymous Happy Salmon. Mm-hmm. And each of these corresponds to an action that you have to do with someone else that also has the same card as you. So the point of the game is to get rid of all your cards. So if you and the person across from you have the, the pounded card on the top of your deck, you can, you know, do a fist bump with them and get rid of the card. But they get to do it too. So both of you get to forward the game, which is really an interesting concept. And it's rapid fire, so everyone's yelling, pound it, pound it, pound it, high five, high five, happy Sam, go, go, go. <laughs> and everyone's moving around, it's screaming, it's laughing, it's great. 
uh, pe- when teachers come in, it's so funny because they said, I didn't expect a laugh at a professional development. Uh-huh. I've, I've sat to, through too many professional developments where someone sets up a, a PowerPoint that's uh, black text on a white background and in a very soft voice. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to professional development. <laughs> Please sit back and relax in your in your chair. Yes. I expect you to remember everything that you've learned in this <laughs> next three hours for the next th- for the rest of your life. Uh, so let's dim the lights a little bit. And, oh God, uh, that's a, that's the curse of kiss of death, isn't it? Right there when they dim the lights. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's really funny. Well, and I think what's <laughs> so, important about this is you've got them doing. Right away from the yes. start, because when we, when we, when I do this with kids, you know, they, I've got them playing games and then I immediately have them designing games, having them do the thing as opposed to, there, there are important times to read about the thing, to understand the time. There, there's, there's so much out there written by people who are far, far better at, than me in terms of teaching games or designing games. I mean, that's important. That's valued, but especially to give them that confidence in basically it's okay to be a mess. It's okay to not know where you're going. It's okay to just try something. The sooner you do that, the better. Oh yeah. And then what's great is that after they do this, it's, it's chaotic, it's crazy, but then they say, okay, cool. Now change the words on the cards to match something in your curriculum. And so now instead of ha- the high five, maybe now you have a cute, a cute angle. And so now you and a partner need to make an acute angle to complete that card. And so now the teachers are thinking about, well, shoot, how can I f- make an action to go along with this? And the beautiful thing is you don't need to. You can have the students come up. Uh-huh. With they can come up with their own happy salmon game and actually play it. And what's great is that when you add a physical component to something, you remember it better. A lot of people uh, are physical learners, so you're bringing in a new experience that will connect with more people, with more kids. And a lot of kids just do not understand, do, do not actually comprehend knowledge if you just talk at them. Right. Uh, they have to do something. They have to connect with something. And if you're doing a body action with someone else and you're making an acute angle – you sure as heck know that you're going to remember that later on. Right, right. Well, and, and I then, think... Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, the thing is, is the, when I, you know, talk to other teachers about teaching game design, you know, I say you... Teachers are game designers. You know, if you're oh, coming up with any kind of new idea, new lesson, whether it was yours or you, something you found online... And you try it and it doesn't quite work or it works, but you see where you want to make changes and you make those changes and improvements for next time. And you do that again and you do that again. That's game design. I mean, that iterative process is what you do when you create games. So if you can do this as part of your teaching, you are naturally attuned to doing this when it comes to game design. You know, you you think about the needs of your students. Game designers think about the needs of their players. You know, it's there's such parallel processes that teachers in a lot of ways are far more equipped to design games than a lot of people are out there that are actually doing it. Although I'm not taking away from people who are published game designers, of course. Or well, hobby. it's actually kind of funny, though, but it, because if you ask a lot of game designers, they come from an education background. Mm-hmm. It's pretty funny. It's 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 incredible. I've um, I know that like Origins, the the game fair in Columbus, is often like butting up right against the end of the school year. Mm-hmm. And when it does do that, 
it's a very sparse crowd because a lot of people that are into board games are in the education world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I heard a lot of outcry like, oh, no, that's good. I'm not going to be able to go because I'm teaching. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a the connection between education and games is just so understated. Yeah. I, I think that it really needs to come out more. Yeah, because you're always um, trying to figure out interesting ways to get kids to learn the material, to learn the idea, to play around with the concept, you know. And games offer so many different ways, you know, for you to do that. Yeah, it also, like, games, but especially board games, I bring out a an element of a safe space to practice social interaction. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially for kids who are have anxiety or have um, communication issues, it's a great way to create this world, like, in, in a bubble, where they can practice without feeling like they're failing. It's like, oh, no, it's fine. We're just playing a game. That's no big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, again, when I was teaching at this small school in Howell, I had 80% IEPs. And I I hope uh, that's individualized education plan. Mm-hmm. So almost every stu- single student had some sort of... Um, I, Significant I, difficulty. Yes, they had difficulty learning or getting along with others, and it wasn't an alternative high school, but it was an alternative to high school. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of kids with anxiety. We had a lot of kids with reading issues. We had a lot of, um, it was, it was, it was a, it was a tough, it was a tough crowd. Yeah. They, they, they were, they were really good kids. Mm -hmm. And and we had a board game club, and I saw some of the, the most, with withdrawn kids come out when they started playing a game because they had this structured play that was allowing them to actually work with other kids in a way that wasn't overwhelming for them. Right. And in a way, it wasn't like just communicating. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and the the thing too is like, it gives them a different way to be successful. And if you're, if you know, if you're in the same, you know, we had, we, we changed around the schedule at our middle school and one, sort of unforeseen product of this was kids who need intervention classes. Like if they needed math and um, English intervention classes, then basically the only elective they could have was PE. And then they would not have PE every, you know, three days. And basically for these kids, it was became really, really important for us to look at our schedule and say, how can we give them other electives, other opportunities? Because, you know, they spent their whole day in classes that they struggled in, you know, yes. that's not fun for anybody that they're not learning, you know, about themselves. It, it can be reinforcing, you know, problems that they're experiencing, not helping them overcome them. And so we redid the schedule to try to figure out ways that we can better meet the needs of kids because of how important it is for struggling kids to feel successful in school and not just to feel successful, actually to achieve success and to be able to have success. And yeah, in a, in a, in a, in a you know, <laughs> I have to be careful I'm saying this, but, you know, ideally every class could be, should be awesome. You know, there are days maybe they just can't be, but every class could be, should be awesome. And if every class could be, should be awesome, you know, well then kids should have a whole variety of ways, 
you know, that they can demonstrate what they know, how they know it, how they can figure this out, which kind of can pull us back into that, you know, problem-based learning idea that we were talking about earlier in terms of giving kids the opportunity to really investigate ideas and concepts and ideas and processes and everything else that's meaningful and relevant to who they are. Yeah. I mean, that's, again, that I, I can't drive home enough how important having success is. Like, even if it's a small success, like, oh, I designed this game and it was horrible and I made this small little change and all of a sudden it started to work a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's a little success that makes you feel like you're actually accomplishing something. And that's something that uh, with the workshops that I do with my with the teachers, I end with a game design uh, challenge. And I I do actually something very similar to what you do with your kids where you can't have a randomization element. Uh-huh. I, I say you have to use dice, but you can't roll them. They cannot be randomized. You can use, you have to use the dice, but do not randomize them. You can have the, how, how are you going to use them? And I actually have them brainstorm all of the actions, all the verbs you can do with the die. And it's, it's pretty funny. And I always get the, the snarky teacher in the back. Who's like, lick it, eat it. <laughs> I'm like, Thank I'll pay you. you to watch you do that, sir. <laughs> I'll have to use that one. <laughs> uh, you don't teach middle school for 12 years without knowing how to make a sassy comeback. Yeah, some kid oh, asked goodness. me if we had a fire drill. And and maybe it wasn't the best response, but a tornado drill. We had a tornado drill. And, and it, it was taking a while to do this tornado drill because they happened to schedule it when... Every single classroom in this one wing was being used. When everybody came down onto the main floor, it was like kids were like two rows deep. You could, you know, barely get through. Maybe that would just happen no matter what. And so it was taking a while to get the kids kind of down and situated. And one kid's like, well, if there was a tornado, would we already be like, you know, knocked away at this point? And he was just kind of being sassy a little bit. And I was like, well, if you ask me a dumb question, I'll give you a dumb answer. And it is yes, you know, and stuff. So it was kind of funny. But I mean, that's the thing about, I mean, maybe, maybe it was a little too saucy or something because maybe he, there was some slight chance that he was actually sort of concerned about it. There was another time on the bus drill. This is 100% off topic. But we had a, like the bus drills so where they have to go out and listen to the bus driver explain all this safety features on the bus and what they do and this one girl kept asking all these questions well what if this happens what if this happens and this was just her asking sassy questions this was not necessarily for guaranteed needs of safety because one of one is um what if the bus goes underwater i said well considering that we have no major bodies of water in our school <laughs> district the chances of that are very very small and then she said but what if it does and i said well at that point you just have to make peace with your brilliant, brief, short life and just hope you've resolved everything you need to resolve. And then I just looked at her and she's like, okay. okay. <laughs> like, oh, I'm sorry. Cool. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I love middle school, honestly. I mean, it's like riding the oh, dragon man. every single day. And I love it that they're trying to figure out who they are and what they are and stuff like that. And you can have a lot of fun with them. Nothing I ever say is ever with malice. It's just, you know, fun with them and stuff like that. Because they do get freaked out about some things. They don't like thinking about when they could be in danger. And sometimes their ridiculous responses are their ways of handling it. And so, you know, it's good to f- provide some loving support and a little sense of humor just make peace with whatever you need to in your brief short life and we'll just pull you out of the non-ocean in the middle of missouri okay but anyway, back to the, okay sorry i got all distracted yeah. 
Um, oh, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, we just end with this great game design challenge that they have to go through, and we do an iteration at the end. Mm-hmm. So they they design it once, then they rotate groups, they test it, they rotate one more time, they test it yep. again. All the feedback's written down, and then they come back and they see the feedback, and it's rough. <laughs> it's always rough. And they're like, oh, okay, well, how can you change it? And then they have to go through another iteration. They do another test. And, oh, lo and behold, it gets a little better. Mm-hmm. Huh, look at that. And so taking that sort of thing into their own classroom, I've heard lots of teachers say it is amazing to see the kids' creativity because it's, again, doing just project-based learning out of the blue for a new teacher can be overwhelming because you kind of have to be okay with letting your class kind of go free range a little bit. And that's scary because like you said, you have to teach content. There are standards that you need to hit. Mm -hmm. And so having this like weird, crazy activity where they're just kind of going in all directions and you Mm -hmm. don't know what's going to show up. It's a, it's a really scary for a lot of teachers. Yeah. But in the context of a game design where you can actually create a challenge that will drive them towards certain discoveries, all of a sudden it becomes a much more manageable project. And the teachers see a lot more value in it because now they're, it's not just like a, we're going to solve the electric grid of our town. Mm-hmm. It's that's overwhelming. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. But if it's, we're going to create a game that simulates doing that. Now it's a little bit more manageable because now the kids are creating these games where they have to come up with their own ideas. And now it's within a structure. It's not free range. It's, I mean, it still is a little, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like a, it's what free range chicken really is. Oh yeah. We gave them a a small six by six yard. It's free range. There you go. (laughs) Uh, you provide a structure. You still let them go outside a little bit and, you know, explore their surroundings a small bit, but it allows them, the, the teachers, to still have the power to oversee what's going on without saying, let's just hope for the best to go. Right. Well, and when I've taught teachers about using game design in the classroom, because I do um, a pure semester-long game design unit with my students. And so oh this is like when I'm I... so jealous. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I wish I could do that. It's actually pretty great. Um, and so, and so, like at a gifted conference, like for, for example, where I was back in October, you know, I was presenting on you know the whole process that I do from stem to stern, all the different parts, you know, process wow. and stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, is one of the things I said to teachers was, I said, if you are sitting there thinking that this is too much, this is not what you expected, you were wanting to, like, just, I mean, because you can, because I've got resources, and I shared ideas on how to, you know, modify games, but, I mean, I was just full on, we do game design, Um, you know, so I have resources available for you, but if this is too much for you, and you're not going to do this, I'm like, well, I'll I'll try to be funny. (laughs) But the other thing I said was, you know, if you're the type of teacher who likes to sit behind your desk, and that is where you stay, this is not right for you. And it's not going to be right for your kids, you know. And the thing is, is, is you, 
if you're nervous that this isn't going to work and that this is going to be hard, then I think you're right. It is, it is difficult. You know, this is not an easy process because you're going to see a whole wide range of emotions and responses from students that you haven't done before, or you probably haven't seen before. But the thing is, is you can't ask your students to take on projects of this magnitude if you're not willing to do it too, if you're not willing to fully embrace this as far as what this is going to take from you as a teacher, then you, you, you can't pretend that you can just sit back and your kids are going to do this and they're going to come out and everything is rosy and sunshine. And I think that's a, a big challenge for a lot of teachers, you know, to embrace that kind of full level of commitment to what they're doing because it's really, really hard. You know, and I'm saying this as somebody, not because I'm smarter and I know better, but because I've learned so much along the way. Because my gosh, if you're talking about like failure and, you know, in the classroom, you know, I almost want to apologize sometimes. And I've even told this to my students this year, like if I could apologize for how I used to teach this to kids, I think I would. I said, and to be fair, 10 years from now, I'm going to want to apologize to you guys for something else too. But hey, we're all doing the best we can, right? And they're like, yeah, you know, like, and so it's okay to be messy. You know, it's okay to not necessarily nail it. Our school, apparently, before me, hired a guy who, when the very first, before school started, filled out every single day in his plan book. Well, the first time something happened that threw oh off his gosh. plan book, you know, like that was, the, he didn't, I don't know, I think he made it through the year, but I don't think he made it much further than that. You know, like there's just, you just have to be able to roll and move with it, you know, but the thing is, is the only thing we're asking is you just have to try just like the students, you know, it's okay that it's going to be messy. It's okay that it's not going to work. It's okay that you're going to have a problem that you're not sure how to solve. And maybe at the end, you're still not so thrilled with the solution, you know? No, I I'm, I'm with you on that 100%. I, yeah. I can't believe that someone was like, Oh yeah, I'll plan out every single day. What's going to happen here and there. It's all done. Yeah. At middle I'll school. <laughs> I mean like, well, any school really, but I just think, you know, I just feel bad for, like, whatever program prepared him or whatever. And obviously he was hired, so certainly, you know, he said some good things. Um, I certainly hope whomever he is, I do not know him, um, whomever he is, that he's doing well and is in a job that is um, suited to his needs and he's successful because, really, that's all we want for anybody. Um, but I think, um, I mean, and this is why, like, it's so much fun talking with you when we were on the, the Breaking into Board Games podcast, you know, is, you know, it's it's an unusual thing to do, but more and more people are interested in doing this. And the more you and I can like share the love of why this is so good, not just for students, but also for yourself, you know, um, I just want people to do it. I just want other people to, if they have the ability to try now. So speaking of trying, what do you think a lot of times when it comes to games, they can be really fun or they can be really educational. And I think, uh, for example, my good friend here in St. Louis, John Covey with Genius Games, is doing some oh. great things to make uh, games fun and educational. But what do you think the magic is to take something and really turn it into a game that's fun? Knowing a lot about games and knowing a lot about the content behind whatever you want to teach. Mm -hmm. So the more experience that you have with games the more that you'll see the patterns behind the different mechanics. Um, when I, uh, John, John's game, uh, Cytosis, uh -huh. is a perfect example of this. 
I can tell you right now that one of his favorite games is probably Lords of Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. Lords of Waterdeep is a worker placement game where you are gathering, uh, gathering workers to be able to go on missions. He basically took the idea behind Lords of Waterdeep and incorporated it into uh, this the cell biology. Mm-hmm. And all you do is you place a worker on a certain space and you do the action of that organelle. And the organelles are ver- do various things, and they're all as scientifically accurate as they can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're talking about cubes, obviously it's a kind of a limited <laughs> engagement but um he did a really fantastic job with that because it it teaches you how things move throughout the cell where where are proteins formed how are uh, how are vacuole how, how do you how do proteins move throughout vacuoles throughout the cell and how do you export these uh amino acids and all these other cool things into the rest of the the cell and it was clear that he knew the science really well, but he also understood mechanics that are easily accessible uh-huh. to a wide audience. Uh, the same thing goes for pretty much any one of his games. I mean, I, I am a huge fan of, of his company, and he, he does some really fantastic game designs because they use very simple mechanics. Uh-huh. Well, and, I mean, worker, Cytosis is probably the most complicated of his games, and that's because worker placement is not quite yet to the mainstream. Yeah, and games are systems, and exactly. most of the, the processes that he bases his games on are systems themselves, so you can have, mm-hmm. all you can gamify how all those different pieces come together and, you know, make something work. And the thing, too, is, like, it's, it's you know, he works on his games for a long time. There's It's a lot of development. There's a lot of research that goes into them in terms of making sure that they're accurate, because he wants to get as close to that as possible. But the one thing, too, is, you know, they had the... Um, our seventh grade teachers wanted to me to help them with coming up with some sort of game based on photosynthesis. And again, it's a system, it's a system. So you've got these pieces and they come together so you can figure out a way to sort of gamify that. And it was something where I didn't have time to put it together for them. Like I didn't have time to design that game for them basically. And so I went online and I found a game where there's just like, it's rolling dice, but then you're putting pieces different places and it was not a perfect game by any means, but like the components were there that they needed. And I think, you know, with time looking at it after, you know, playing it myself, it's probably something that could have been tweaked or probably could still be tweaked to make it better. But the thing is, is, is even though it wasn't necessarily a great game, it still got the job done. You know, the kids had fun playing it. It was teaching them about all the different things they could, you know, by physically moving things onto the flower, they could see how, you know, the the photosynthesis actually, or onto the plant leaf, like how photosynthesis actually worked. So, you know, sometimes, you know, kids will do anything if it's a game. You know, if they get to play a game in class versus not, like, they will play it. I know I'm speaking to the choir here, not just to you, but to anybody (laughs) listening. But don't be afraid to play a bad game. Don't be afraid to design a bad game because your kids will go along with it. They will play it with you. They will support it. They will be down for that. They got to play a game in class, which they want to do any time they possibly can. And what's the next step? Wow, this is a really bad game. Well, kids, how would you fix it? Yes. 
And then and all of a sudden, now they actually have to engage with the material. They can see that, oh, this is a kind of neat game. It's kind of boring. Well, how can you make it more exciting? Well, I don't know. Well, let's let's see what we can do. Well, and that's a good and point, too, because especially in my school, any of my seventh graders who design games could be in there to help. You know? And so, I mean, yeah. you know, not take over, but, you know, there are kids who have been working on this. That's a good point. So don't... In, in point of fact, bad games can be really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, Snakes and Ladders, objectively, not a great game. Still fun, though. Mm-hmm. Weird. Why? Hmm. Uh, I mean, Apples to Apples, also, not a super fun game, mm-hmm. but why do people love it? Yeah. It's the experience behind playing. Yes. And interacting with people. So it's... <sighs> Well, so I have... Yeah, again, we're preaching to the choir. I know, right? I know. I well, <laughs> but, well, it's funny because I used to have all of the basic games in my classroom and I'd have the kids modify them. Um, so shoots and Ladders and, you know, all those and stuff. And actually for shoots and Ladders, I came up with a really great variant on it one time. Um, but the thing was is I actually I, I got rid of them. I gave them away to um, elementary teachers because I was out sick one time and the kids had a game day and the sub wrote in the notes that kids were playing Candyland. And I was like... Oh my God, I have like 300 games in this classroom and you guys played Candyland. <laughs> and I'm like, it's gone. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's gone. Get out. Yep. No it's more, gone. no more, uh, no more apples to apples either. So, um, what was the other one? Oh, so then there's a little tiny game from, uh, Ravensburger called Monkey Madness. This is a game for three year olds. It's basically just a color matching game. That's it. There is no strategy. It is basically a game to teach kids how to take turns, how to match colors, how to win, how to lose. That's the basis of this game. And um, and I've used it with kids, so I teach them how to do that. And just like what you did with rock, paper, scissors, is they have to modify it and come up with different ways to play um, Monkey Madness. And the thing that – and so one time, again, this year, um, I was out sick, and the kids played Monkey Madness – this is a game for three-year-olds that is just color matching. There is no strategy whatsoever. So now I have it hidden in my desk <laughs> that they can't play. Now, if they wanted to spend the day like making improvements to it, that's fine. But no, I think those fools just sat there for 50 minutes playing Monkey Madness. Although that maybe they didn't. Maybe they quit. I'd make them play. I don't know. I'd be like, fine, you play Monkey Madness? That's all you're going to play. How do you like it now? Oh, look, red one again. Boom. <laughs> it's so, aren't they fun, though? Do, do you miss being in the classroom? I, yes, I, I really do miss the act of teaching. Um, it's it is kind of sad that I don't get to interact with kids on a daily basis. If I were to go back, I I don't know. I I really have found a love of informal education, mm-hmm. mostly just due to I I reach a broader audience this way. Yeah, and it's a small sacrifice for me because it's like yes, I it is informal ed. I don't get to interact with kids, but I get to interact with teachers. Mm-hmm. And if I can teach the teachers how to make their classes more fun, I've made infinitely more classes better because of it. And I, I don't know. That's it is sad. I wish I could hang out with. I, I again, I'm a kid at heart. I always right. Uh, the secret to getting old is to never grow up. Right. Um, so I, I strongly. <laughs> adhere to that philosophy. Yeah. So I, I will always be a kid. I mean, when I was a te- when I was teaching, 
we had a laser laser tag night. We'd go out to the laser tag, and mm-hmm. uh, people could hunt down Mr. Zhang if they could. <laughs> and it was it was fantastic. And we had the board game club where again the kids could beat up Mr. Zhang if they could, mm-hmm. and often they would, which is pretty awesome. And <laughs> so it mm-hmm. just engaging with kids is is something that I really enjoy doing, and I do miss it a lot. But I, I definitely have found a calling in informal ed and. Yeah. I, I do enjoy the flexibility that it offers mm-hmm. because I'm not, I don't need to be there from seven thirty in the morning until five o'clock at night. Um, it's, I, I have a normal job, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a nine to, I have a nine to five job that is, I'm, I'm there when I need to be. And then I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Um, what really was, was stressful for me was, was all the extra stuff that was on top of that. It was, um, the grading and the, the administration of teaching. I feel, just I feel like you should cut this off, or otherwise everyone is going to quit their jobs and become full-time education professional development coordinators at science there centers in their schools and their cities. There I mean, we go. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I, I think I, I understand, you know, because there's teaching is definitely a job where you certainly always have time to take on more responsibilities, don't you? You yes. know? Yeah. Always. <laughs> Always. Um, well, this has been a ton of fun. Um, if you ever need a special guest lecturer, you know, you've got my number. So um, of that'd be so fun, actually. Um, but yeah, no, this would be great. Um, and so thanks so much for coming on and talking with me about this. Oh, one last thing. I wrote down Team Hamster. And this was probably my favorite part of what when we had our conversation on breaking into board games. Um, because we had two non-educators um, on the podcast with us. And we're throwing around terms like STEM and STEAM. And then you came out with Team Hamster. And I was like, what is that? And you explained it. And I was like, I am officially Team Hamster. So please explain Team Hamster. So part of the STEM excellence pathway is uh, we, we kind of define what is STEM because a lot of schools are kind of going into STEAM or STREAM. Uh, so STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. You have STEAM, which is science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Mm-hmm. You have STREAM, which throws in reading or religion if you're a parochial school. Mm-hmm. Um, and we call it STEM, but we're, we're not saying that it, it's only S-T-E-M. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a lot of grants are all around this idea of STEM. Right. right. So it's, it's it, the national education um, paradigm kind of is slower than what uh, normal schools are keeping up with. Um, <laughs> so we're still in the STEM world uh, in, in Funderland. So if you want easy funding, STEM is the way to go. So we encourage people to use STEM, but we don't just mean S-T-E-M. We do mean stream. We do mean all the. I mean, at a certain point, we're adding so many letters to this. You might as well just call it hamster. Right. I mean, you have humanities. You have arts. You have music. You have math or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. You have the science, technology, engineering, uh, like, uh, reading, religion. It's what point do you just call it school? Right. <laughs> so the idea behind STEM learning is that idea of inquiry it's that problem focused it's the uh, incorporation of all the subjects into what you're teaching it's a holistic education is what it really is Uh it's preparing you to have those skills to actually be able to do well in in the future workforce again i i enter every one of my workshops saying i am not the expert in teaching because you all have much more experience 
in the classroom than I have ever had. Mm-hmm. And that I, I tell them that. And what I'm trying to give you are maybe some tools that you might not have tried that you can do in the future. And you can try to engage your students in ways that might be a little unconventional. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, that's the whole goal. And that's, a, and, and that's a, and that's a real gift and that's a real service, you know, because, you know, any great teacher opens the door to show opportunities you know, possibilities that, that, you know, students didn't know existed. And you're doing that, you know, for teachers, you know, that you work with, even, and you're, you're being very smart about the choices that you have, because these are things that they can implement right away, and you give them enough practice and support where they feel confident in doing it for the first time, because they've actually done it um, with you in your workshops um, for quite a bit. So, Thank you so much for what you're doing because I think there's a lot of people out there who, a lot of teachers out there who really benefit um, from what you are doing. I, you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I, I don't, again, it's one of those wonderful things where I don't even consider it like work all that much. Yeah. It's so much fun. I get to see so many cool things. I get to meet so many cool people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm a people person for sure. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love, I love meeting new people. If you see me on at a convention, come say hi mm-hmm. and I will talk your ear off about games and education. Oh, which <laughs> as, conventions as are you going to this summer? Has, uh, I will be, let's see here. I'll be at origins game fair in Columbus. I'll be at Gen Con. Uh, in uh, the end of July and August, mm-hmm. and I will be at Unpub, and I will either be at BGG Con or PAX East. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I'm trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Oh, I'll be at Proto ATL, so at the Atlanta uh, Proto Spiel event. Mm-hmm. So I'll be there. Um, I'll be going to Aztec. Which is the American Society of Technology Centers? Oh, that's cool. Uh, conference. So, if you are a museum educator, come find me. I will be more than happy to chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it's in Connecticut this year, so I, I'll be I'll be representing Carnegie Science Center. Cool. So, I will be there. All right. Well, uh, so for people, I'm all over the place. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> the best the best way to just reach just reach out and ask if I'm going to be somewhere, and I'm happy to if you if you want me to come out and visit and. Uh, just send me an email or a Twitter. Twitter's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Uh, my Twitter is at Ian Zhang Design. That's my like board game side, but mm-hmm. I I'll field questions there too. Um, and again, I travel the country for the Carnegie Science Center. So if you want me to come out and visit and talk, I'm more than happy to do so. Uh, just get in contact with me. That's all. Cool. Well, thank you again for uh, being on the show. This was a lot of fun. It's, you know, when we're both, you know, kind of doing what we do, it's it's unusual to meet somebody who does something similar, but hopefully with the work that you and I are both doing, we will change that. And we will have a lot more colleagues in the field of teaching teachers to do game design as well as designing games themselves. So thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a, it's been a blast. Excellent. All right, well, this is Kathleen Mercury with Games and Schools and Libraries. You can find me online. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Mercury with 7M, so it's at Mercury. And, of course, all of my board game design resources are available for free on my website, www.kathleenmercury.com, quite imaginatively named. I'm on Board Game Geek as Funk Donut, where I post my students' game designs. You should go check them out. They love seeing feedback and thumbs. Those will be coming out in a couple months, the next batch. And with that, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. You can find out more about Inverse Genius and the people who create the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast by visiting us at inversegenius.com, where we have other great shows such as On Board Games, On RPGs, On Minis Games, and The Room Escape Divas. If you would like to be on the show or have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com and let us know. We do have our episodes booked out for several weeks in advance, so if you have something time-sensitive, you will want to contact us as early as possible.